so it's it's got a lot to do with where we come from i think that that influences where we are going and and the type of stories that we put out and the responsibility that we have to to bring authenticity and to to pay not justice but to pay tribute or a uh, homage to your people to the stories that you want the world to hear Today I'm talking to Christo Davids, who is a writer, a director and an actor in South Africa. Christo, it's so lovely to talk to you here on Zoom. Great. It's great being here. Finally being able to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you are, you said you are based in Johannesburg. Is this where you grew up as well? No. I am originally from a place called Mitchell's Plain in Cape Town. Yeah. And uh, at the age of nine years old, we moved to the Southern Cape. Uh, to a small town called Heidelberg, because my parents threw it, thought it better to bring their children up in, on what we call in South Africa, the Platteland. Okay, yeah. And is this way you're, because you're an actor in South Africa. Yeah, I, I haven't really acted for the last seven, six, seven years. Yeah. Uh, I have primarily been uh, producing, writing and directing. Um, oh, I, I was. I did my last play in 2015 <clears throat> called Sindrani Suburbs, that's written by a very prolific South African writer, uh, Pierre Duplessis, in 2015. And then I changed my focus to directing. And then from directing, I started producing for TV and writing for TV and directing for TV. So, wow. but mm. last year I had the opportunity after COVID to direct the play again. So I directed in January. I directed. Joni Galant, the Adam Small play at the Market Theatre. And I just recently came back from Cape Town where I directed a season show at the Baxter Theatre, Platform 9. So now from being an actor to directing, what, which, uh, which do you prefer? Well, look, they're all different disciplines and they all require a different part of you. Uh, they all have a different emotional investment. So for me, it depends on where I find myself. Last year, uh, I was part of a poetry project for the Art Club um, Arts Festival in South Africa, in the, the northern part of the northern festival, if you want to call it that. Um, Art Club, and I was part of a, a, a poetry project that was performed live. And when I walked onto that stage, it, it felt familiar again. It felt really? like, oh, I remember this. I remember <laughs> this feeling. Um, and then something kicked inside of me and now this year I want to see what other acting opportunities there are outside but, uh, were you nervous then getting on stage in, in such a long time I'm nervous in general oh okay <laughs> <laughs> that's why I prepare to death I over prepare so that I don't mm. get caught off guard um, yeah. but yeah I'm, I'm always nervous before I walk on and that feeling, that feeling in your stomach, that feeling of wanting to go to the toilet, that feeling of going, I'm not going onto this stage. They uh -oh. must do this without me. All of that just flashed back. You know, and, it, and then, but eventually mm -hmm. when you walk on, again, something in you opens and you know, you it's, somehow you understand why you're alive. Yeah. But now this is so interesting that you um, you said originally you, you come from Mitchell's Plain, which is, it's, uh, for people who don't know, it's it's almost inner city, isn't it, in Cape Town? Yeah, it's also referred to in South Africa as the Cape Flats. Okay. Um, after the forced removals of 1966, uh, the apartheid uh, regime, when they separated the people, 
moved all the colored people to what is known as the Cape Flats, which consists of Manenberg, Hanover Park, Lavendale, which of which the biggest suburb is Mitchell's Plain. So yeah, the 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 stigma around a place like Mitchell's Plain is not great. Um, mm. But you know, uh, history is most of the times written by the outsider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very uh, weird at times for me, or ironic at times for me, where your story is told by someone who's never lived there. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is really true that you're saying that, and um, and of course, when you talk to people who live there, then they have the real, you know, they talk about the real people and the real life situation that you have there. Look, it's dangerous, but it's dangerous everywhere. Yeah. There's no country in this world that doesn't have an area where you go to where you feel, oh, this is dangerous or this is dodgy. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. It's, it all depends on how places are sold, you know, and it's the same with story. It's this, it's it's how a story is sold. It's 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 That's why I always feel that a writer has got one of these biggest the biggest responsibilities because he can shift the consciousness. Yeah. You know, he, he can he can influence a train of thought. He can he can he can he can build up or he can break down because it there is no such thing as objective writing. Yeah. There is no as an objective story. It's it's whether it's a journalist or whether it's a playwright or a, a novelist, there is always first and foremost the subjective side of it because it comes from you. Story yeah. comes from you. You the one sitting with that pen or behind that keyboard. You the one in control of the narrative. Yeah. Now that's true. How much did this this experience that you have, or this this experience from uh Mitchell's plane and and having that um uh sort of background, um, how much does that influence how you see or how you direct or how you you produce your your work do you think well, first, that has an influence i think where we come from where anybody comes from has got an influence of how he approaches or perceives a certain piece of work um i've always thought of romeo and juliet as these two because it's a, it's a play about gangsters right it's a it's two mafia yeah. that's fighting each other it's and two star-crossed lovers that's 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 caught up in the middle of that so for me whenever I, I when the first time i came across that play i'll never forget um in in what we call your grade eight uh standard six i was about 14 um and my grandfather was a very prolific south african actor goliath davids and that was one of his favorite stories that julius caesar and the merchant of venice and I remember specifically when I heard that story, I thought that that story happened in Mitchell's plane. Really? I thought, wow, that's great. And then they shot each other. And then there was a gang fight. And then eventually the one killed the other one. And then the one had to flee after killing the guy who killed his friend. And then because all of that for me was like, oh, yeah, I know that story. Mm. That's where I come from. Amazing. You know, so, so it does yeah. have an impact and it does have an influence of how you think and how you approach certain things and the type of work that you choose to do. Um, I think a very prominent figure of, 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 of that type of authenticity in his storytelling is a filmmaker, Martin Scorsese. Um, a lot of Martin Scorsese's work deals with, with his 
background, you know, with with mm-hmm. with his experiences, where he comes from. Um, it's 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 New York Italian. It's it's there's a certain way these people move. There's a certain way they speak, you know. And we are drawn in and intrigued by that because although we've heard about it, here's somebody on the inside showing us this is life. This is how it works. Um, it's the same thing with his films. It's look if it's not a gangster film, he's going to make a film about religion, right? So, and then once he made a comedy, but um, so it's it's got a lot to do with where we come from. I think that that influences where we are going and and the type of stories that we put out and the responsibility that we have to to bring authenticity and to to pay not justice but to pay tribute or uh, homage to your people to the stories that you want the world to hear. Yeah, and you're right. You, you're talking now about comedy as well, but it, it's also true that in in situations like that, we, you know, like you say, people look from the outside and they just see the the terrible things. But there's also this wonderful humor that that we, you have in South Africa, where and um, people take in in the most difficult situations, they have this humor that that sort of brings them out or or takes them out of it. Yeah. Um, look, there's a lot of things uh, uh, floating around the world at the, for the last couple of years about man- mental health and depression and stuff like that. And my aunt said, she lives in Mitchell's Plain, and she said, what is this with depression? What? I never, you know, because she heard about, oh, this is what it means and this is what depression actually is. And she said, oh, I thought that's just life. <laughs> I thought that's just how things work, you know? We mm. struggle, wake up, we struggle, we go to work. We come home, we wake up tomorrow morning again, we struggle, we come home, we it's a it was just a way of life, it's just a cycle. Yeah. Um, and it 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 and that's what I mean with um the influence that it has and how different people in a story, different characters perceive different emotions in three different ways, or one perspective in three different ways. Right? It's a it's the same that if was Hedda Gabler not that ambitious? How would that marriage have turned out? You know, would she yeah. have just caused all this disruption in her world? But because it was her normal, because she was searching to go back to what was normal to her, what she needs out of it. There's a great example, the fabulous playwright John Osborne from England who wrote Look Back in Anger. Um where it doesn't matter what happened at the end, that woman came back. You know, he was the biggest a-hole in the world, but that was her normal. That was what she needed to survive. She needed that. Um, streetcar named Desire. Uh, 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 Blanche Dubois comes to visit her sister, Stella, and there's this guy, Stanley Kowalski, who needs to step into his manhood, so they're disrupting his world because they're forcing him to take responsibility. They're forcing him to become a man. You know, they're forcing him, showing him that, no, you know, we are not subservient to you. We are on equal ground and that's not his normal. So these things, they, they've got a way of weaving themselves through the stories that we see and somehow or the other manifest in something or some way that we identify with things that we look at. That's why I always believe we fall in love with stories yeah. uh, that we see. That's why stories always been around since the beginning of time. Um, it's because we need something to latch onto. We need something 
that we can go, oh, that, fe that feels familiar. Oh, that looks familiar. Oh, look, there's me. Oh, that's not me. I don't like that guy. That guy reminds me of that part of my life. Or I like that guy. He reminds me of the good of my life. You know, it's all of those things that culminates that makes us do what we do. That's absolutely true. Yeah, I haven't thought of that that way, but yeah, that's true. But now, in in um, what was it then? You said your uncle was also a, an actor. So was it that that inspired you to do acting? What as a, a well, as my, a young my, child. My grandfather, um, my grandfather was was a, a, a actor through the apartheid oh. years up until uh, his he did his last film at eighty two. Um, um, and uh, two of my uncles, Lloyd Davids and Peter John Davids. Uh, Lloyd Davids is a is a playwright, and Peter John Davids is a director, a theater director. Um, so I come from a family of of actors. Really, I, I'm the fourth best. Okay. <laughs> um, but the the we grew up in that house, like with stories. We were. I was taught poems by my grandfather that I never understood. Why is he telling me? Why is he teaching me this? Why do I need to know these things? Um, while your friends are playing cricket or soccer outside in the street and you standing, you know, in his living room, reciting some Adi Akit poem. Um, but it's only as I got older and started pursuing acting as a career where I started realizing what that training meant for me now because i made the first time i was i i made my professional acting debut at the age of 11 opposite my grandfather in a television series called honor engeler in 1994 when it was still called s uh 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 really yeah many years ago and and then i did a lot of other things afterwards a lot of I was in Mulanders and Hagenheim Strength Privat and all these. I used to, you know, whenever they needed a kid, oh, okay. a lot of the times I would be that that boy. So after, when I got to matric, I really wanted to go study theater because by then I've invested a lot in this profession and in this industry. And I've read, you know, by the time I got to matric, I've basically read everything that Ethel Fugard has written. Um, but Somehow my grandfather thought that's not a good idea really? for me to go to theater. He got me to the business and then he said, no, I don't think it's a good idea for you to go study theater. Um, because he, he also always believed that you should, what you know is enough. You'll discover as you go on. What you know now is what you need. Go study something yeah. else. Then I ended up studying a, a law degree LLB and I graduated in 2006 and then I took the law degree home I gave it to them and then I moved to Joburg to go act oh, okay. <laughs> wow but um so this was always at the back of your mind that you will be acting I've through varsity I've always been in productions um okay. my I, I think I made a quite a good name for myself while doing all these main stage plays while studying law um so i learned a lot and i also look this thing comes with a, a hell of a discipline right and respect for it if you don't respect it it won't respect you um 
and that that's a general rule in life anyway uh but it taught me a discipline and it taught me hard work and it taught me how if you want to achieve something you know 100% is never enough um see how far you can stretch yourself but don't stretch yourself so far that you lose yourself um so it's all of all of those type of things that 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 has kept me going it's the it's the driver there's always something new there's always something new to learn mm-hmm. but now in south Af- yeah but in south africa it's it's not so easy because uh, the many theaters are are closed down and uh, uh what is the what are the possibilities for you how easy is, is it for you to say put up a production no it's not <laughs> I, uh, no, i don't think it's easy for anyone to to go up and put up a pr- production unless you cameron mackintosh who did lay miss for 25 years or 30 years um you know unless you come up and say i'm the new tennessee williams um but for for us in south africa it is difficult because we don't have proper government support for the arts the department of of arts and culture is not really in the interest of the arts the little that they give serves this much mm-hmm. right so the rest are all out there on their own trying to fringe and trying to make a buck where you have to stand in the wings and start counting the audience as they walk in to see who's getting paid tonight um it is very difficult here and it's primarily because of government support it's primarily because the government has no real our minister of arts and culture of, of, of sport or oh, sport sports and arts and culture is the same thing here right it's under the same really? banner sport arts and culture is the same thing um and that will never work um but yeah it it things can be better theater or performing arts has got a huge platform it has changed the world in a significant way it's always contributed it told how many stories about apartheid while apartheid was on protest yeah. theater was one of the things that came out and gave people the message of what's really going on you know people risking their lives to 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 tell a story to change a mind to change a perspective um but you know and south africa said who did work i'll say um it's not it's not something that our government is taking serious and that is why artists suffer uh, there was a, a a relief fund during the covid of how many 200 million rand how many artists saw any of that 200 million really it's now mm. just gone nobody knows what happened to the 200 million so you have got a couple of state funded theaters in south africa um and then you have independent theaters a lot of independent theaters a lot of producing houses and producing houses as we all know can only survive if they support yeah whether it's from the private sector or whether it's from the audience or wherever or if it's international funding wherever it's coming from it's the only way like the Baxter Theater in Cape Town um that is run by uh, Lara Foot who is probably one of the best theater makers South Africa has ever had um for her for example to have kept that theater alive and open even after covid is 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 remarkable it's something that that 
is re- has really happened or is really really done. If you look at the Fugard Theater, for example, which is such a beautiful theater that presented excellent work on an international standard that had to close down because of COVID. Because yeah. the government can step in and say, yeah, is the 200 million. <laughs> I'm getting a bit carried away with you this now. Um, but it's true. And it's 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 not just sensitive to me. It's sensitive to all of us here. It's sensitive knowing that there was no reason for all these people during COVID to, you know, become more depressed than they already are. There was yeah. a way out. I'm not asking, I'm not saying give each artist a hundred thousand rand. That's not the point, you know, but it's the same thing with royalties in South Africa. There is no royalty. So you go to America and reruns, people get paid for reruns. They get paid for, unfortunately not here. So you'll have veteran actors that is now 70 years old that can't work anymore. Um, whose stuff are still playing from the 70s. There's reruns of things, but there's nothing in it for them. You know, there's, there's work here and that's made in South Africa that has been distributed across Africa, into Europe, into the Netherlands. And where is that? What happened to that? Where's that money going? Certainly not going to the artist. Okay. I'll stop it there. <laughs> no, but but it's, it's good that you're saying that because it's also, um, isn't that... Also, then the thing that becomes a sort of a cycle, then people don't see the value of it anymore because nobody wants to go into that. Nobody wants to become an actor because of the way you are treated or nobody wants to go into the arts because there's no support for the arts. So you are losing losing very talented people because uh, they don't feel they have the support. Exactly. It's exactly that. Um, for argument's sake, Saga, the South African Guild of Actors, has for the last probably 15 years been trying to push a bill through Parliament, just get it signed, get a bill signed to rectify these things, to get more support, to get a better infrastructure from the government for actors um, so that we can operate and, and feel protected and feel like your people are on your side. But unfortunately, I think when it comes to the the hierarchy of of of, of things, you know, artists has never really been top of the top of the scale after the Renaissance period. <laughs> yeah, but you you uh, you talking about the history now and also about Apartheid, and you, you're saying, okay, so that was a way of telling stories. That was a way of bringing awareness. And isn't that also uh, so important that the children of today have a way to express themselves or the children of today have a way to, through art or art education or maybe through through acting, to to really express how they feel in their situation? Yes. And to me, it feels that since 1994 up until 2023, it feels like there's more stories to tell now than there was prior to it. Yeah. You know, because apartheid was, it's one narrative. It's mm-hmm. its black and white. It's its right and wrong. There's no middle way. There's no blur. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's that clear. Where we living in today, in the democratic South Africa as we're living in today, things are blurred. They're gray. Mm-hmm. Everything has got a loophole. 
you know, <clears throat> there is, there, there's, there's who do you trust? There's people that has gone up and people that has gone down. There's people that's gone nowhere, that's stagnated. It was very sad for me. Um, about 12 years ago, I worked, I was still working uh, on Seven Line as an actor. And there was a, a lady working there, my Sally. She was a seamstress. And we were talking and the elections was coming up, I think, at that point. Um, and she and I was saying, no, everybody must go vote. You know, it's your right. You must go vote. People died for us. People thought that we have this right. I just feel we should all vote. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not voting. And I said, but it can't, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have to vote for the ANC. Just vote, then vote for the opposition, vote for. And she looked at me and she said, I think, I think things were better under the apartheid regime. Mm -hmm. So if someone like that yeah. you know, could, could come up with a thought like that in the spur of the moment, whether she meant it in that way, yeah. whether it's something she thought about before, whether it's just something that slipped out of her, but, but it was said, it's out there, it's in the universe, it exists. And it's always stayed with me um, because things were not better. Mm -hmm. But now we don't know whether it's better or good because it's too gray, it's too blurred, it's mm -hmm. too, it's too blocked off. It's 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 like you guys exist here, and then we will tell you what you need to know when yeah. you need to know. There's people it, walking around with you know, yeah. I I don't want to go into all political debate. No, about no, it. but it's it's arts and politics has always been like this, right? Yeah, but it's that an uncertainty. You know, it's yeah. uncertainty. Um, like you say, if it's if it's very much a wrong right, then at least you know where you stand. But if it's that uncertainty, then then it's sort of difficult. But now, um, for what is the situation now for children, for example? Um, do you see projects? Do you see enough projects where children get the opportunity to? Um, do some form of art, either dancing, acting, or singing in that sense? There's a lot of it. There's a lot of those programs. But what is the sustainability and the longevity of these things? Um, we also have quite a few arts festivals in South Africa. Quite a few. Um, and to start something, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat for the day. Teach a man how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. So having a program run for two weeks or of three days and say, come, this is arts and culture. This is how we do it. And then teaching children the basics of acting and then walking away from it and never following up on it or never putting a representative there going, okay, right, this is the next thing that's in place. This is the application of how we're going to go forward with this. If you don't have that in place, then what are you doing? Um, you know, it's, it's, I believe that I once wrote in a play that it's, it's better to kill someone than to take his hope away. Yeah. Um, so that is, if, if you create something like that, if you, if, if there is proper investment in the arts and people start understanding what it can do for the human being, how the human being's mind opens up what he is, you know, how he is challenged by others and challenging himself and feeling free to challenge whatever narrative is outside. Because that is what we need, right? We need a, we need a, a country of free thinkers. 
we need people that's able to make up their own mind. And the arts has always been something that has improved people. It's always been something that has improved confidence in people. Um, I have been part of more than one workshop in my life. Oh, let me make this example. When I was in high school, we had a drama group. And there was a lot of us in this drama group, about 23 learners. And not all of us became actors. Not everybody that was in that group became professional actors. But the confidence that they left high school with, the way they can carry themselves, the way they, they can address a crowd, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, and I, and I know, yes, uh, I know a girl, for example, that's an introvert, a big one. But the moment you say, and please, can you address the crowd? Bah, she's out. Yeah. Immediately she's there, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a type of confidence that was built by that experience as being part of that group, being part of people that's being developed emotionally in a completely different way. Yeah, and you know, this exactly I hear from also singers who say say that they, you know, they've, um, for example, come from townships in South Africa where there was a church choir and then they sang in the church choir and this, you know, kept them motivated and this they, they learned so much about that. So um, it sort of lifted them out of their situation in a way. Yes. It, it's got that power. It's got a, it's got a, it, 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 because it's got a mental effect on you, right? Confidence is a, it's a thing that's a, it's a mental thing. Yeah. Um. Sometimes you've got too much of it and sometimes you don't have enough of it. And it's the balance in between that, 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 that causes that sort of linear line that, that you sort of in control of where you're standing. But now, Christy, um, I know you've got two children as well. Um, are they also interested in acting and and um, what what Dad is doing? Last year, I was writing a television series called Spurlos that is created by Ilse van Jimmer. Um, It's an African show. It's a white done it eight episodes that I also directed together with Francois Kutsia. And one of the characters that myself and Francois and Ilse came up with was this was this young boy of five, six years old, and he's the lead character's son. And the whole story eventually revolves around this guy wanting to prove to his son that he did not commit the crime that he's accused of uh, because he doesn't want to lose his son because he went through a whole battle and stuff and he's a single dad and everything that goes with that. <laughs> and when we came to the casting of it, I said, no, 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 you guys don't have to worry. Um, I'll get my son. Okay. I get my son to do it. The boy doesn't speak a lot. It's got like five lines through the whole series for the times you see him. And I came home and I prepped him and he went, yeah, cool. He's in it. And we ran the lines. First. And then I said to him, okay, right. So now daddy just wants to record this because I want to send it to channel. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, why? And I said, no, because other people also has to see it. And he said, no, nah, I don't want to do it for them. I only want to do it for you. <laughs> and then I knew, okay, right. He's not ready. <laughs> oh, that is know, so sweet. <laughs> five. He was five at the time. He's six now. My yeah. daughter is two years old. Yeah. Um, she, um, her crying gives Medea a run for her money. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so so will they become actors? I don't know. And I won't stand in their way if they do want to become actors mm -hmm. or do want to go in the art. Um, I will definitely explain to them what it requires. Um, because they live in my house, they can see yeah. what you have to go through. Um, yeah. There is a huge sacrifice. Uh, last year, I left them in Feb. I saw them over eve over a month later, over Easter weekend. I flew down to Cape. They went down to Cape Town. I flew down to go see them there. Then I flew back to go work, and I only saw them three weeks later for the first time. So when I saw them, they looked like different children. Really, uh, yeah. But that that is unfortunately part of of what we chose to do. And now, yeah, and and. So now in um in south africa you also uh, you you were talking about this um production and it's in afrikaans do you do a lot of afrikaans productions what is the because it's a language that's not known over the world but but you still do a lot of work there in afrikaans yes i work primarily in afrikaans um especially writing in afrikaans it's my mother tongue it's how i was raised uh it's it's an indigenous south african language that was born in South Africa. Uh, that was, it's 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 the language of the slaves, right? It's the language of my ancestors. Because they couldn't speak Dutch that well, but they tried to copy the bass. Um, <laughs> and, and Afrikaans was born out of that. And whenever you speak Afrikaans in Holland, um, people look at you and they go like, oh, you, you it sounds good but you sound like you're speaking Dutch like a baby. It's like you're oh, okay. starting to, like, trying to speak Dutch. And that's very reminiscent of where the language is born. It was born mm -hmm. in a kitchen. So it's a kitchen Dutch. Um, and then later years, you know, after all these wars that were fought and the, when, uh, 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 what's his name? Oh, Jager Afrikaner lost um, the war against the Hollanders. The free people started calling themselves Afrikaners, and now it's a it's a language and a, a title claimed by white South Africa. Mm. Um, but it never originated from them. It's not you know it's not something that all the after the Boer War, before the Boer War, they came together and said, "This is who we are. And this is how we're going to speak." Uh, okay, yeah. Everything is born somewhere. Yeah. So and and you do a lot of you do a lot of Afrikaans. You say you do love a lot of Afrikaans or mostly Afrikaans productions. Ninety percent of my work is in Afrikaans. Oh, okay, but that's wonderful that the language because it's then a unique language, and it's wonderful that you can, um, you know, that it can still live as a language also in art. Yes, uh, it is important. Um, that South Africa's got 11 official languages. Um, it is important that all those 11 uh, official languages get a platform. It is important yeah. that they are all heard um, because the speakers of whatever other language is just as passionate about their language as I am about mine, you know. And, yeah. um, although Afrikaans is probably almost in the minority of, of, of spoken languages in the country compared to Isikosa, Zulu, um english and then probably afrikaans um so so it is important to keep that alive it is important that people do keep on 
speaking Afrikaans. There was mm. this whole thing about Charlize uh, Theron, who, or Charlize Theron, who <laughs> said there's only 44 people left in South Africa that speaks Afrikaans, and, you know, people lost their minds. And yeah. I couldn't understand why. It's a, it's, it's a joke. Yeah. And yeah. you said it's a satirical platform. But you yeah. see, because we, we people don't read further than the headline. Yeah. And then they make the conclusion from there. And then you've got the other devil, right? Social media who makes up your mind for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and I couldn't understand that people are paying this much attention to Charlize, who said there are only 44 people left in South Africa speaking Afrikaans, <sighs> while children are dying of hunger and we don't have electricity. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... And that's important. The, what is his name? John Steenhuisen from the DA wants her to come and explain herself in Parliament. Really, she's a woman. Do you know who she is? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> yeah. But that shows you the focus again. You know yeah. that you were talking about earlier, also. Yeah, the different focus. But now, Christy, tell me what what is um, now the wish for you for the future. What are your um what what do you hope will happen in in the arts and and what are your plans? Um, my wish for 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 the art sector is that we get the support that we deserve, just like any other formal medium in this in this country. That that it is taken more serious. That the value of what it contributes to society. Um, that that is being acknowledged. Um, and that's probably not in my lifetime. Hopefully my son will see that happen. Um, but I really do hope that that the, the government, the ruling party at the moment, will open their eyes and see. And, and just for one second, sit back and go, but we, we need this. Yeah. We need stories. We need the mirror of society to be held up to them. We need something to remind us who we are. We need people to challenge thoughts. Um, and that is what the art has always done. Um, whether it was someone doing a painting, singing a song, performing a play, or doing a poetry on some street corner. Um, it does form part of the heartbeat of what the DNA of society is made out of. Uh, for me, that's, that's wonderfully said. Yeah. The the for me, I <clears throat> I am adapting. I've been co commissioned to adapt uh, two plays. Um, one that I will do in Joburg. Uh, in August and that opens in Joburg in August and another one that opens in Cape Town in October. And between that, I am in development with two more TV series that will probably only shoot next year. Um, 23, I worked very hard in 2022. I'd like to spend more time with my family for one and find more peace of mind, you know, and switch off 
just let one compartment of my brain work at a time. <laughs> and not let the hamster run through all of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think many people can relate to that. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> Christy, it was so lovely talking to you. And um, whenever you come to Vienna, then please let me know. Maybe you'll come and put a, a theater piece up here. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, it was really mm -hmm. lovely being here. I would definitely love to come do a show in Vienna. Um, if there's people out there who's in the theater world of Vienna, my name is Christo Davids. I'm from South Africa. Invite me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, Christo. Have yes. a lovely day. You too. Okay, bye. Thank you, Christo. Bye. Okay, thank you, Peter. Thank you.